Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good. We just recorded a fantastic episode. I'm smiling and I'm getting ready for the weekend, so it's all good here. Christian, have you gotten some of your Bitcoiner friends to, to say that uh, we're going to break up? Because I've, I've heard that from my side of things. Yeah, I mean, for some reason, people think that you can't have honest discussion without eventually hating each other. So 50 episodes in, I think we're all right. Yeah, and it's not like that episode one was the first time we ever were friends. <laughs> people just only get exposed to us arguing. The whole reason we started this show is because we used to uh, just be on our you know trading crypto chat with all of our buddies, and we were 80% of the content, and it was always like, me being the Bitcoiner and Aaron David being the Ethereum slash shitcoiner. Yeah, and everyone else would just listen. What's even more uh, characteristic is that we were actually in like rival fraternities, <laughs> which is super funny. Yet homies still, so it's all good. <laughs> yeah, yet homies. We're not breaking up, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we brought Mariano Conti of MakerDAO onto the podcast. Mariano is head of oracles at MakerDAO, so he manages the the way that the oracles interact with the system. And he also lives in Argentina. Uh, and so Mariano was into crypto before Ethereum was a thing. And so he used Bitcoin to manage his personal finances before there was even an Ethereum blockchain. Uh, and then Ethereum came along and he started working with the MakerDAO team to produce DAI. And as soon as DAI was a thing, he started being paid in DAI and using DAI to live. Uh, so we bring Mariano to, onto the podcast in order for, for us to learn about what it's like to use crypto in Argentina and then also what it's like to use Bitcoin versus DAI in Argentina and how these things have impacted his life. Christian, what was your uh, favorite part of the episode? Yeah, this was just a really fantastic episode. You guys are going to really enjoy it. Um, but Mariano is really uniquely suited to kind of give honest and fair answers to a lot of the things that David and I debate. So I really thought that this podcast was awesome. And, you know, Mariano spoke honestly about DAI, Bitcoin, Ether, the trade-offs between all of them, why he is involved with all of them, and how they have helped him improve his life and make a better life for himself. And without further ado, Mariano Conte. Mariano Conte, welcome to POV Crypto. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you for having me. So for those who don't know, Mariano Conti is the head of oracles at MakerDAO. Uh, I met originally Mariano at ETH Denver, and then I saw him again at ETH New York. Uh, Mariano is one of these people who I started talking to on Twitter, and then I started talking to more and more and more, and then we met in person. And I could honestly say that Mariano moved from being a Twitter personality to my friend. So Mariano, thanks for coming on the podcast and, and giving us some of your time. Wow, thank you so uh, so much. Yeah, it was uh, was really fun meeting you in Denver. Then uh, I believe um, I was in POB Crypto for a little bit in one of your uh, condensed uh, talk mm -hmm. to everybody uh, podcast. That's true. Yeah, yeah, the the one where we th went through everyone. So yeah, it's not not my first time here. But this is a first full length interview, and it's uh, been long overdue. So we're excited. Yeah, yeah, me too. And uh, also, it's good to. 
have you on the on the Bitcoin side to uh, test my assumptions. And <laughs> so let's see how it goes. <laughs> That's what we're here for. So Mariano lives in Argentina and also uh, gets paid in Dai. And so we wanted to bring Mariano on to talk about what it's like living both off of cryptocurrency, but not necessarily Bitcoin, as most people have um, heard. Uh, Local Bitcoins is a very important website, uh, an OTC trading desk for people who need to use an alternative currency uh, instead of their um, their nation state fiat currency. Um, but Mariano here uses Dai primarily. And so we wanted to bring him on the podcast and talk about his experience of using Dai to to live your life. Um, but before we get into that subject, Mariano, can you kind of give our listeners a, a little bit of a walkthrough for how you came to be in crypto, how you came to be at MakerDAO, uh, what interests you about crypto and, and why why you have a, an affinity with the crypto world? Uh, yeah, sure. So I was born in Argentina, but I moved to Mexico when I was like six years old. So I lived there most of my life. And then I came back to Buenos Aires, uh, Argentina in 2011. And late 2011, early 2012, um, the government instituted um, sort of a ban on buying dollars, which in Argentina, it's always been the currency that people use to safeguard uh, their investments. Uh, I always say, picture this, you ever happen, uh, for example, when you put on a jacket and you say, oh, uh, there's like 10 bucks in here that I forgot from like a year ago. Well, in Argentina, if that happens, if you had put 10 bucks in your jacket and you take it out after a year, it's five, right? So um, it's incredible, this situation. And uh what people use is us dollars but then in 2011 2012 the government said okay you cannot buy dollars anymore Uh, we're gonna put a lot of restrictions and people starting started figuring out other ways uh to uh, protect their investments and a lot of people in the tech industry that worked for outside companies they they couldn't get paid anymore uh at least uh in a proper way because if somebody would send you dollars then the government would trade it into pesos at the official rate which was around 30 or 40 percent less than what you could get uh, outside the banks so that to me first was a surprise because mexico even though it's also kind of an emerging economy it's a lot safer than what we have down here and when I started working for outside companies, I too discovered Bitcoin as a way uh, for people to pay me and and not be exposed to the, uh, the volatility of the peso, right? So I discovered Bitcoin somewhere around 2014, 2015. And uh, instead of getting paid in USD and then having it converted, I believe around that time, you could get 15 pesos to the dollar but officially they would trade it uh, the government would trade it at nine uh, pesos each dollar so uh, you couldn't go through official channels that's when we found uh, bitcoin and we started getting paid that, uh, that way that's why you have also a big bitcoin community in argentina it's a lot of tech people they found it early uh, sometimes people in 2011 2012 and that's pretty much how i discovered it as a way to get paid um, 
from outside projects into the country. So how long has the inflation issue been a problem in Argentina? How, how many years has it stretched back? Uh, well, since forever, ever, <laughs> ever oh, since no. I can remember. It's, um, we've had hyperinflation. I remember living in Mexico and coming here with my family when I was uh, younger. And uh, there's a picture in my mind. I was like eight or nine years old and my mother wanted to buy something uh, in a shop. And the shopkeeper was like, uh, I cannot sell this to you because I don't know how much it costs right now, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, prices were changing every single day. And my mom was phoning my dad back in Mexico saying, hey, uh, you need to wire me money because this stuff is going crazy. And so ever since I can remember, there was a period where we had parity. We had uh, the peso was pegged to the dollar. And then it blew up spectacularly. How long did that peg last? Oh, crap. I want to say like less than 10 years. Yeah, something like that. Why do you think that happened? Just because the government couldn't stop printing money or what? Um, Well, I'm not too familiar with that period of history. But um, really, uh, yeah, the the government was artificially saying that... uh, one one peso was one US dollar and that was the time when you saw Argentinians traveling everywhere and was the period of it was called the give me two because every time an Argentinian traveled abroad it was like oh everything is so cheap I'll take two and uh, eventually uh, it just blew up like uh, the country had no more reserves to uh, to support this artificial peg and I believe we went from like one one to three point five one or something like that overnight and people who had savings in banks in u.s dollars those dollars were transformed to pesos at that exchange rate so everybody without their consent without their consent and that's another period that's called the the corralito the corral because the government they took everybody's bank accounts and they said okay they pacified everything and they uh, issued restrictions on how much money you could take out. And a lot of people, including my grandparents, they died with uh, a lot of money in the banks that they, they like their life savings that they couldn't enjoy. Not your keys, not your coins. Exactly. Exactly. That's uh, people here do not trust banks, really. And, and, and that's fresh in everybody's minds. That happened in 2001. So it's not that long ago, not even 20 years ago. There was another more recent uh, kind of uh, scenario where the banks automatically transformed your USD into pesos as well. Isn't that true? Like uh, 2010 or something like that? Am I wrong? Um, Well, no. What happened in in 2011 is um, what I'm saying that they restricted uh, people's access to dollars. I remember. You you had to be... um, you had to be proper with like the IRS and depending on how much money you made, it was how much you could buy legally. And then it started like that, but then credit cards were not affected. So people would still travel and they would use credit cards and uh, there it would, um, they would take the dollar for like the official rate, but then people would sell dollars in the black market for a higher uh, peso rate and then they would make the difference. But then they put a 35% tax 
uh, it was an advance on your yearly taxes on every credit card transaction outside the country. And it was always like people fighting the government, government fighting the people and trying to uh, overcome all this, uh, these regulations. And for everybody who uh, got paid in something like Bitcoin or uh, even USD, uh, we had people open up bank accounts in uh, Uruguay or Chile or even in Miami, lots of Argentinians there. And it's always a struggle, like trying to, to fight the system, not just trying to get what's fair, right? Here it's, it's always, it's difficult to win. You just try to break even. That's what most people do. That's so sad. Yeah. And I mean, that's the beautiful thing about cryptocurrency is that it's kind of taken out of the hands of just, you know, who's in charge. So Argentina, that the what you just illustrated kind of shows exactly the perfect breeding grounds for adoption of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and, and Ether and DAI and all these permissionless blockchains that are accessible wherever the internet is. And so I, I see two reasons why it's, it's so big. It, it could be so big in Argentina. One, Christian illustrated as not your keys, not your coins. And for, for people who, who, um, who don't know what that means, that means that if you have money in the bank, you actually are trusting the bank with your money. And so you don't have the keys to your vault. Therefore, it's not your money, it's the banks. Uh, and then the other issue is the issue of hyperinflation, which is the issue of a central party printing money uh, to, to pay their bills, but at the loss of everyone else who's holding the money. Uh, and so um, we saw, I think from Meltem Demores or or her other podcast partner go go and do a research report in Argentina or uh, Venezuela about the adoption. Jill Carlson, thank you, Jill Carlson, um, do a research report in Venezuela about it, how the state of cryptocurrency in Venezuela and how it's being adopted. And so it sounds like you, Mariano, quickly adopted crypto in in um, Argentina. Can you kind of illustrate? how proliferated crypto is in Argentina? Is it still niche or is it pretty well um, utilized? Like what's the what's the you know spectrum of adoption look like there? No, I would say it's still kind of niche, although mm -hmm. the Bitcoin community in Argentina is probably one of the oldest in all of Latin America. And I've been telling why it's just uh, a lot of it came out of necessity, right? Um, but it's still it's not like you can go everywhere and, and pay in Bitcoin or pay in another crypto. Um, it's still it's still pretty niche, although you do have a lot of projects uh, from, let's say, Bitcoin or Ethereum. They're based in Argentina and they started there. And that gives you a little bit of a, a feel of like how long we've been using it down here. And personally, so I was working for a, a digital agency here in Argentina. And uh, it's very common to get a part of your salary in pesos and then a part of, of your salary uh, like off the books in dollars, right? And because of this restriction uh, that the banks have, I didn't want my boss to uh, deposit the dollars into a bank account here because they would be transformed into pesos at a very bad rate. So he said, okay, uh, you just fly to Miami, open up a bank account and I will deposit that there, right? And I wasn't doing that, wasn't doing that. And one day he says, hey, how about I pay you in Bitcoin? 
and I said, okay, give me, let me just check it out. Uh, I had read about it before, but I wasn't personally involved in that. I uh, read about it a little bit and I said, hey, perfect. Yeah, let's do that. So uh, he paid me about uh, like five or six months of back wages that I, that I had in Bitcoin. And that's how it started. Uh, every month he would send me uh, some Bitcoin and I just started uh, holding that. It's, uh, I didn't even use it for anything. Uh, and that went on for a while. And then Ethereum mainnet uh, launched or was about to launch. And my boss said like, hey, this is the next big thing, right? Uh, let's get into this. And we did, we, we sold some of our BTC and uh, we bought into ETH. And the next uh, thing we knew, we were exploring um, this new blockchain and we liked it so much that the next idea was working for a project that was building something there. So we did our research and the one that we found was Maker. And a couple of months after that, we started talking to people in Maker saying, hey, uh, you need to hire us as uh, developers. Me and uh, Gonzalo, who's still uh, around to this day in Maker uh, as part of the, the smart contracts team. And that's how, that's how we found Maker around September, 2016. So that was pretty much the jump uh, between just being a Bitcoin holder to being an Ethereum holder to being an actual Ethereum developer. It took around two years to start that. When you were getting paid in Bitcoin, you said you're mostly holding it. I'm assuming that you had to sell some of it in order to, you know, make your daily expenses and live. Yep. Um, and then I guess want to know what that experience is like. And then now that you are doing a similar thing in mm -hmm. DAI slash Ethereum, what is it like? Yeah, so... I was getting paid a bit in pesos, so I tried to use mostly that for my expenses and not spend the Bitcoin. But I did find, uh, and this is this is one of the issues I have with this. I I, I found that I paid uh, a credit card bill in late 2014 or early 2015, and it wasn't a big credit card bill, but. <laughs> Uh, what I paid in, in Bitcoin for that, it's now probably thousands of dollars, right? Uh, it was it was crazy. Um, but what I did was uh, back then I was using a website uh, called Satoshi Tango. It's still up to this day. And you uh, you trade Bitcoin for pesos there and they uh, they send it to your bank account. That's um, that's all legal. That's all in the system. It does require KYC. Uh, so I either use that or on occasion I use local Bitcoin. That's pretty much you talk to somebody, uh, arrange a meeting somewhere public maybe. Um, I did do that once and it went well. Uh, otherwise, you can also try to trust the system and everything happens remotely. You send Bitcoin, uh, they send money to a, to a bank account and then it, it's released. But uh, it's been a while since I've since I've done that. Um, but yeah, that was that was pretty much how I spent uh, when I when I did how I spent my Bitcoin. It's um, trading it to pesos and and just paying my my monthly bills. And how about now that you're using mostly Dai? Well, now it's easier to um, trade Dai directly into pesos. So. 
I believe it started last year when Dai was listed on was it Bitfinex or Ethfinex? I, I don't remember. Um, we had somebody who did OTC trading, mostly of uh, Bitcoin and Ether. And one day, a buddy of mine said, uh, asked him, hey, I have DAI, can you trade it uh, for pesos or, or dollars? And he looked at uh, Bitfinex and said, oh, okay, DAI is there. Then, yeah, I guess I'll trade you for it. And that's how it started. And this month, for the past year, I either go straight DAI into pesos or DAI into dollars, or on occasion, if I see that the exchange rate is better, I trade DAI for ETH and then I sell the ETH. And there's even been a couple of times when I, I traded DAI for Bitcoin and then sold the Bitcoin for pesos. So that all just depends on the rates that you're giving. Yeah, I should have, I, I don't. I, I had a tiny website built just for myself that would grab uh, data from a lot of different exchanges like locally and it would tell me what the best uh, route would be. Either go straight from DAI to pesos or jump around with other cryptos. And, but lately, the, usually the easiest is just trading DAI uh, for pesos, which I do once a month. And you do you still go through this OTC uh, operator? Uh, n no, I mostly um, I mostly now use um, either uh, Ripio or um, Buenbit, which are websites that uh, they just uh, trade Dai directly. And do, is it only Dai, or is it Dai, Ether, Bitcoin, a bunch of the majors? Yeah, yeah, it's Dai, Ether, Bitcoin. Um, there's a few that have some of the others. Uh, Bitcoin Cash, maybe Ripple, but probably not more than that. Yeah. Do people use Tether? I. That's a good question. I don't think I've seen it on those websites. And I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know a lot of traders from Argentina. Uh, so, but if... If I knew them, I would say yes, because a lot of people use Tether. It's um, what's the market cap? Like three billion, right? It's uh, it's still very much half. used. Yeah. Yeah, the volume is also right. just massive compared to all the other stable. Yeah, models. but that's got wash trading though, and it's getting printed more on the Ethereum blockchain, right? It's been it's been rising the the amount of Tether as an ERC twenty as opposed to what's the other Omni. one? Omni. 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 Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, chain. to me, that makes a lot of sense. Like they're issuing Tether on as many chains as they can. So yeah. like they're really trying to take advantage of like using blockchains as like transport layers. Mm -hmm. So Mariano, did, when did you start getting paid in DAI? And excuse me for asking so many questions about your personal finance, but no, no, that's <laughs> it's, okay. it's kind of the crux of the crux of the yeah. episode. Did you get, did you start getting paid in DAI as soon as DAI was a thing? Yeah. I started getting paid in Psy as soon as Psy was a thing. Wow. And Psy is the alpha version. Uh -huh. It was released, um, I, I believe we're coming on the two year anniversary because it was either June or July. Um, but it was around two years ago. So the first version of uh, the DAI stablecoin that we released, it was uh, called Psy. And originally it was going to be mostly a mainnet launch experiment for us, right? And right uh, when we launched it, 
the Maker Foundation said, hey, uh, if you want to get paid in, in Psi, let us know. Because before, uh, at least I was getting paid in Ether. And I jumped right in and a lot of people did. It's like, yeah, sure. And there was no market for it, right? It was, it was still the foundation opening a CDP and then um, the foundation giving us the Psi. And then when we wanted to exchange it, we would exchange it again through the foundation because there were no arbitragers. There was no market for it. There was <laughs> really, uh, we did eventually um, ended up bringing a couple of uh, people in to do a little bit of that, but it, it was mostly a playtest. but it lasted from June or July, 2017 till we launched die in December uh, of 2017. And for all those months I got paid inside. Yeah. And then as soon as die was available, uh, next paycheck, it, it came in die. And that's true for, for a lot of people, uh, inside maker, at, at least a lot of people that are not in like the U S right. Where, uh, something like this is, it's a godsend to, uh, to people like us who, who live elsewhere. So can you kind of compare and contrast your experience with being paid in Bitcoin and being paid mm -hmm. in Psi slash die? Yeah. Um, well, Bitcoin wins in liquidity every single time, right? And and that's a that's a big one. I but the thing that I have now with Bitcoin is mostly psychological. It's it's like what I told you that I look at that uh, bill that I paid from 2015 uh, that I paid with whatever the 0 0.3, 0 0.4 Bitcoin, right? And I look at it and it's shit. <laughs> that's worth a lot of money now, right? And but it's not. It's no different. I know it's only psychological, but the fact that I get paid in die, and then I can choose to put that die into something more speculative, right, or something more volatile, like, like Bitcoin or Ether, which I do every month. It's uh, I I still love holding those coins, and I, and I do. But then then it becomes my choice, right? And then you look at it and say, okay, yeah, I could have bought more of each if it moons, whatever, but, but just having that step, that choice of it's me saying, okay, I'm going to keep this, uh, for speculating, but I know that I have this part, uh, to pay for my rent and my groceries and whatever that at least that psychological step for me, it's big. And, but yeah, to answer your question, uh, further, it is always easier with Bitcoin. You get better exchange rates. Um, but that's that's mostly it. I mean, for for something like myself, for like a salary, it's it's not like you have to wait uh, a long time to to do a trade, right? It's not like I'm trading millions of dollars where uh, maybe it's not that liquid. So this is one of the big things I've been saying about why Dai is so cool is because it doesn't force users of Dai to also take on the speculative side of things. It, it lets you have your stable mm -hmm. value and use cryptocurrencies the way they're meant to be used, but also not have to speculate on, on currencies or be exposed to, to currency risk. Um, so that's always been my, my, the perception I have about the biggest advantage of DAI is that, you know, we, it's really cool that Bitcoin is this global currency that can be found ubiquitously and everyone can access it, but it also forces people to be exposed to this, 
um, side of things that people might not want to be exposed to, which is the the very rapidly changing prices. Uh, and and so the 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 line I always give is that um, that people who are in need of crypto are likely not wanting to speculate with their funds, and they really just are looking for that stability of their personal finance rather than to own a share of a, of a blockchain network, which is what you would get if you buy Bitcoin. Um, Christian, you want to take that? <laughs> well, I was going to say in the last episode, I, in, I think uh, Mariano can either confirm or, uh, or you know, say that this is not true, but it seems as though mm-hmm. there's a lot of velocity with people who actually use Bitcoin as a payment rail um, in third world countries, right? So you get the Bitcoin, and then if, unless you... You know, if you have to spend it all all at once, like, you know, you're going to convert into the native currency ASAP. It sounds like Mariano was in a position where he could actually really afford to save, um, but not a lot of people are necessarily in that position. So I don't necessarily I don't necessarily necessarily know if stability for those who can't save is actually that big of a factor because they're not exposed to the Bitcoin for very long. Well, I've I've seen both sides. Um, I've seen people who and often it depends on, on when this happened because um, 2017 everybody was so happy everybody wanted to get paid in Bitcoin mm-hmm. and a lot of people made a lot of money and then 2018 they they had this issue of uh, velocity of as soon as they got paid it was uh, okay let's let's change it as fast as we can right and even then uh, people were having a hard time and they maybe lost, I don't know, 10% of their value um, between when they got it and when they managed to trade it. Um, so, and also, like you say, a lot of people, they they were trading everything, right? It's not like they were saving anything. Um, but you're right that if this, uh, if this were to happen with Ether, which at the time here wasn't as liquid, uh, it would have been even greater, uh, greater risk, right? That's why, uh, as long as the market cap remains as as large as it is and liquidity uh, remains uh, as it is, Bitcoin, at least for this uh, southern parts, um, is going to remain king. As long as we don't teach uh, people about die, right? That's uh, that's what we've been trying to do. Because you remove that that forced sense of urgency. So talk talk to us a, bit, us a little bit more about these efforts of like teaching people about Dai and helping educate people. I'm assuming that if you know how to use Bitcoin, it's not that hard to use Dai. Yeah, um, I'm not very much directly involved in, in some of these, um, but we do have two people here uh, in Buenos Aires. Another Mariano. Shout out other uh, Mariano. Yeah, he's, uh, he's from Community. And Nadia, she's Colombian, but she lives in, uh, in Buenos Aires uh, from business development. They've been all over Latin America uh, a lot in Colombia, where there's also a huge uh, market for cryptocurrencies. And I know that uh, Mariano has been in Cúcuta, which is a city on the border with uh, Venezuela, where a lot of Venezuelans, they cross over to Colombia. And 
a lot of it has been just talking to exchanges and talking to companies that offer point of sale systems that take uh, Bitcoin and um, what's the one that's big in Venezuela? It's Dash, right? Um, and just trying to ed educate them on, on DAI and w why we believe that uh, it's a better solution. So a lot of it has been outreach and trying to get more fiat uh, on and off ramps and getting it into exchanges and in the hands of people. And also talking to companies that pay in Bitcoin to maybe see if they want to pay in DAI. Give us uh, the outlook on what that looks like. What does does DAI resonate with people? Like, what are the do people get like these aha moments, or is it pretty difficult to kind of get people to to understand the value of DAI? When you say that it's a cryptocurrency packed to the U.S. dollar, they they mostly get it instantly because mm -hmm. there's there's not a lot to get, right? <laughs> Do they understand the nuances between a centralized stablecoin and DAI? No. So if you talk to a regular person, they don't care about it that much. That's something that I've also been talking mm -hmm. to people. It's like we, in our Twitter echo chamber, now that uh, Libra uh, is coming out, right? News about it. It's like, yeah, but it's not decentralized. It's like 99% of your customers, they do not care about that. We care about it, we know, and it's on us to educate everybody. But we have to face the reality that a lot of people, even if they know about it, they will not care. Maybe in some places like here where, where we do have an inherent distrust of banks, you can argue the case. But even so, a lot of people will not uh, will just not see it as an advantage. They'll say, okay, you're what a hundred person team versus a multi-million dollar company. So we need to approach, I don't know, novel, novel ideas, new ways of doing it. So Mariano, I know you, you've uh, hinted that you lend out some of your DAI inside of uh, Ethereum's DeFi applications. And uh, the, this really gives me excitement because um, the, I, we all know that, that if you're lending out in DeFi, you're getting pretty uh, incredible rates compared to uh, even rates that you would get in the United States. Uh, I remember growing up, my mom, uh, when, I was, when I was young, I would get the, the letter from Wells Fargo in the mail and then it would show like I was like 10 years old. So I had like $400 in the bank and uh, there would be like an extra quarter in there. And it'd be like, oh, my mom would be like, oh, David, look what you look what your money did. Like your $400 got you one quarter in the last like four months, like just by sitting there saving, like good job saving money. Uh, but now we realize that like, you know, my mom grew up in the 60s and 70s where money in your bank would get you two to 4%, but now it's like a quarter of 1%. And so banks, even banks in America are not providing people with very much, um, not serving them financially because they're just taking their money and paying them a quarter of 1% and then lending that money out to 24% for somebody who's uh, got a huge credit card bill and is, is underwater. And so this is something that really excites me about the DeFi space is that I can use my DAI and lend it out directly to another individual uh, and then receive rates that reflect cutting out the middleman, the, the bank. Uh, and and you are a, a first somebody who's on the frontier of this. Can you kind of uh, illustrate for our listeners what that's like for you, and what what you're doing basically? Right now, if I'm right now, I think I'm lending only on the YDX. 
Uh, I've used Dharma, I've used Compound. So any of this, they they let you lend out your die, and the exchange, um, the interest that you get on that, it's uh, it's really good. Uh, now that the the stability fee of die has gone down a little bit, uh, those interest rates have done, gone down as well. But a few months ago, I was uh, loaning die on Dharma for what was it, fourteen percent uh, APR, right? And they all have uh, their differences. Uh, Dharma has a little bit of uh, KYC, and it's like fixed uh, periods, fixed term loan. Well, yeah, term loans. DYDX, you can just go in and out as you uh, as you please, and you actually see the the money go up. It's um, and the the rates are are good. And also, one of the cool things that these uh, projects are doing is they help stabilize the peg around the dollar, right? It's not the same mechanics as we're going to have with the die savings rate, but they do. They're they're a layer on top that that really makes it good for somebody um, somebody probably in Latin America. For me, it's like the double whammy. You're getting, <laughs> you can get your salary in DAI, which is already pegged to the USD, which for all its uh, problems and whatever, it's still a very strong currency compared to what we have here. And keep in mind that, for example, uh, I, I listened to your uh, latest uh, fight night, was it? Number three? And well, you're always talking about what is money, what isn't. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, here in Argentina, even the Argentine peso isn't money for some things, right? Uh, if you want to buy a house or an apartment, everything is in US dollars. Like properties are listed in US dollars. And if you want to buy an apartment from somebody, it's like they're gonna ask you for USD, not peso. So <laughs> even the peso is not money inside Argentina in some <laughs> in some cases, right? Um, and just getting paid in USD and getting a good interest rate, which I know the risk is uh, non-zero, but also it is non-zero keeping your money in an Argentine bank. So it's always trade-offs, right? Totally and. Just to kind of get into, uh, you're saying that all of these additional kind of mechanisms on top of DAI make it more stable. That's called financialization, and financialization mm -hmm. makes a currency more stable, more dependable, more liquid, right? Um, that's why financialization of Bitcoin is so important. But at the same time, it's interesting to see how this financialization is helping DAI. Can you talk a little bit more about, like, where you see the financialization of DAI continuing. I know David talks about DeFi a lot, but I guess, you know, what, what's the most optimistic thing about DAI financialization to you? I would really like to see. So first off, there's so much cool stuff that you can do on top of this just because it is programmable, right? Um, I would like to see every single company that already pays uh, employees in DAI to use uh, streaming payments or continuous payments or, or whatever you call them. And this would mean that you can program all this. Um, Wait, can you define streaming why... payments for our audience? Yeah. So uh, why do I have to get my paycheck at the end of 30 days, for example, when uh, with smart contracts, 
money can start accruing on a uh, on an account per second and let's say a week goes by and i can already uh extract a week's salary um that's that's essentially uh streaming payments and the cool thing is that you can mix this up with this other systems so maybe uh, my employer starts putting in money every month in a mixed account in DYDX, for example. So maybe my salary is already earning interest by the second. And then if I take it out, I take out a week's payment plus the interest that it's been making for a week, right? Um, that for me, I don't want to get too into the, into the trading part of things because uh that for me of course it it's the big thing right but um that's what really makes uh, the wheel turn but for me this the ones that feel like are gonna be smaller financially i think are gonna be bigger socially if you get what i mean so yeah what mariano is talking about is uh he receives his paycheck and die right and so uh every 30 days maker dow sends him his die uh and just like you would expect in a normal like bank wire, if you're if you get your your paycheck through your bank wire, um, and, but instead theoretically every time every minute he puts he, if he if he puts one minute of labor into MakerDAO, well then they owe the, the MakerDAO Foundation owes him one minute of pay, and so with with smart contracts and with payment channels, we we now have the technology to instantaneously pay an individual at every single instant of their labor uh, and so and, and then we can also connect this to uh, a lending platform like dydx where uh, mariano submits his die which he receives on a moment by moment basis and it immediately goes into his account with dydx and immediately starts receiving interest and so to me that just that just screams efficiency right like you are getting paid for your labor instantaneously and you don't even have to do anything to start receiving interest on your money because it can theoretically just go straight into your dydx account and to me that screams two things money legos where we put all these uh cool little features together and start to build something new and DeFi, decentralized finance, which is open to everyone, and and you don't need to trust anyone to to get this managed. And how about maybe a programmable four hundred one ks, right? It's mm -hmm. um, and with the with the die savings rate that's coming in multi collateral die, it's uh, it's fundamentally different um, from lo uh, loaning money on any one of these other. Uh, platforms in two ways. First, it directly affects the circulating die supply. So, if any on these other platforms, when when you lend die, somebody on the other end borrows it, right? In the die savings rate, nobody borrows it. It just it gets locked up in a smart contract. So, uh, you're you're affecting the the die supply, right? And the other thing is that uh, you get pay in, uh, interest out of the stability fee. So that also adds uh, a little bit of nuance to it. Um, so yeah, people can just stop calling MKR holders greedy. They can, because uh, the money comes out of, uh, in the end, MKR uh, holders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, money that would go, they, that would go to them, right? So obviously, you work with MakerDAO. Um, MakerDAO is 
kind of a company, kind of a decentralized organization. Maker Foundation. Can you talk a little bit more about what it's like working for MakerDAO? And let's say the United States did want to restrict MakerDAO, like how, I guess, uh, you know, how anti-fragile is or resilient is the maker system to that kind of an attack, in your opinion? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Let's start with, like, what is it like to work for that kind of company? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that's easier. Well, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, really, <laughs> it's really freaking cool. It's, uh, we have a team from people around the world. Almost everybody is uh, 10 years younger than me, so I learn new things every single day. Um, it's really, it's really changed my life for the better. Not just, uh, not just uh, the financial stability, the the peace of mind, but just like learning new things, um, getting to create the first version of the oracles, working on smart contracts, um, becoming like the top project in DeFi. That that is something that I see people inside Maker take it to heart and, and really own it. It's like what we're doing is meaningful and important. And and no, the overall it's really great. It's um, 20, 2018 was amazing in that the price of Ether was going down, but you would go to conferences with the Maker shirt and people, everybody wanted to talk to us. It's um, And then 2019, we got a little bit of a reality check that, hey, uh cool it you're you're doing good but come on release mcd already and that that like uh it was also good for us i would say but no working for maker is amazing and then the second part of the question what was the question yeah the second part of the question is um what if the u.s suddenly starts regulating i don't have a good answer i would say so the project is decentralized enough and at least the DAO part of MakerDAO, uh, I would expect, uh, would work pretty much as it has. Um, but I don't really have a lot of information as to what, I don't know. I don't have any frame of reference of any other project, for example, getting uh, a letter from the SEC mm -hmm. saying, "Hey, what you're doing? I don't know, maybe kick right now, but but even then, I'm not that informed as to what they're doing about it." So I think what Christian is asking is, what are MakerDAO's attack surface attack surfaces? Like, if where are the weak points? Oh, okay. So the oracles are one, of course. Um, I would guess any any smart contract project that uses data from the outside that's uh, that's uh, one of the first weak points that, that come to mind. That's why we decentralize them as much as possible. And uh, we have operators around the world working on those and reporting prices. Um, another one is, of course, uh, Black Swans. We haven't seen this yet. Uh, the price of Ether went down 90 something percent, but it happened gradually. So the system didn't um, wasn't really affected by it. So, so far in almost two years, the system never had to bail an underwater CDP, for example. Um, and with MCD, uh, 
you're getting different collateral types, hopefully mostly unrelated, and like that risk goes down further. Uh, what do you call them in English? Run, run to the bank. Run, run on the, the bank. bank. Bank run runs. Run the bank. Yeah. Bank runs. Yeah, that's possibly something um, that could happen. But yeah, uh, other than that, I I think we we saw back one of the biggest uh, slow crashes of the market, and it was the worst time possible to launch uh, die. <laughs> December 2017, but uh, I guess it was also the best time as well. So it it has been pretty much battle tested for a lot of things. But of course, that's uh, wishful thinking, right? That always something comes up that you do not expect. And so my initial question before I forgot it and then hit you with that tough one was uh, I wanted to talk about multi-collateral die. So I don't mean to be spreading FUD or anything like that about multi-collateral die, but at the same time, to me, it screams of like huge danger, right? Like first you have oracles on the Ether price feed and the dollar price feed, but now, now you're adding in all this additional complexities with whatever these tokens have aligned with them, right? And effectively, the most insecure token, um, you know, kind of brings down the overall security and stability of your system. So can you kind of squash those fears that I have around, you know, why you're moving in that direction? Yeah. So first, from the smart contract security perspective, every every token that, that we would add is isolated uh, from the rest. So we use uh, what we call adapters. So you're talking... Um, because a lot of tokens, and let me tell you, they're a little bit messy. <laughs> the ERC-20 token standard is there for a reason, but a lot of those tokens do not adhere by it, and their implementations are so weird, and they call proxies and sub-proxies. And so we architected this in a way that we abstract that from the rest of the system for increased security. But on the financial side, well, this is what excites me the most, right? So actually having MKR holders be good governors of the system. It's um, one of the things that I want the most is actually for MKR holders to vote in a really shitty token into the system, but with the proper risk parameters. So if, if they do that, then the system should still be safe. It's uh, it, it's not only saying, okay, multi-collateral DAI is going to support this and this and this token. It's that you have a lot of levers that uh, at your disposal, right? You have a debt ceiling that's probably one of the most important. You have a collateralization ratio. It's like, okay, you want to use this token uh, for uh, borrowing DAI? Okay, but you need to put in a lot of it uh, just to get $1 worth, uh, worth right? Um, you got the, the stability fee, how much interest you have to pay on it. And so I can talk about one collateral in multi-collateral, if, uh, if that's okay with you guys. And it's one that you already know about. It's uh, Ether, right? <laughs> but the cool thing about uh, Ether and multi-collateral die is that you can have different versions of it. You can have 
uh, an Ether version that's exactly like the current system. So you need to put in a dollar and a half worth of Ether for every die that you borrow. Um, and you pay, I don't know, 16.5% uh, interest, right? Which is what we have right now. You can have another Ether that let's call it Ether 200. So you need to put in $2 uh, worth uh, of Ether at least to get one die. But maybe the interest rate is a lot lower, right? And the penalty for defaulting on that loan is a lot lower. Instead of 13%, it's maybe five or four. And you can have Ether 120. So you can only, you only need to put a dollar uh, and 20 cents for each die, but maybe the interest rate is a lot higher and the penalty um, is higher as well, right? So that's one of the things that, uh, that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, in the case of, um, you're still using the same collateral uh, in the backend, right? So uh, you're not as uh, protected against black swans in that way, but just the fact that you can have different risks, uh, risk parameters for the same one. And then just like try to trust MKR governance. Um, right now, the, the MakerDAO Foundation is the one that is still bootstrapping the system. System's not even two years old. So uh, we have risk teams that are gonna come up with the proposals uh, for the tokens that um, we want to propose for MCD, right? And we're gonna see how the community votes on those. And then we wanna see the community itself try to propose different tokens for it. And as to how different it is, it's, uh, it's not a very complicated system. Uh, it's gonna be formally verified. Um, we're gonna have uh, oracles for all of those and oracles itself are a, are a risk parameter, right? So if we cannot get a reliable price source on a token, then I guess the MKR holders would probably vote it down as well. Has any progress been made as to using on-chain price data for oracles? Like do, does MakerDAO use Uniswap as like a price feed or any other platforms like Uniswap? No, not yet. Um, we, we've, we've done some internal testing and there's other projects like the Polaris Oracle and even I talked to Hayden in ETH New York, um, uh, Hayden Adams from Uniswap, and he mentioned that they want to do something with or um, native to Uniswap, like the next implementation of Uniswap that it would uh, benefit from what it has on chain to provide price uh, price data uh, but we're not there yet the, the liquidity is not there yet uh, order books can be uh, totally drained with not too much money so for now we're we're looking at it of course but we're not going to do anything with it and then maybe can you give us like a 10-year illustration of like if MakerDAO totally and, and figures out the Oracle situation, like, can you kind of illustrate how maximally secure the Oracles could get if everything goes right? Like how, how, how would you, uh, if you, if you were God, how would you de design the MakerDAO Oracle system and you had all the resources available and all the liquidity was there? Like how, how strong can these things get? Um, it's a tough question. I know. No, no, it's, um, I would I would say even even before that we can we can do some things 
that that still are pretty much off chain that we can do to make better for example uh, we can use what the validators are going to do for ETH uh, for Ethereum 2.0. So aggregating signatures, that's you have thousands of validators taking ETH, right, and signing messages. And there are ways of uh, getting all those thousands of messages down into like a simple aggregated signature that you send to the blockchain and verify. That is not there yet on on Ethereum one, uh, just because we're it doesn't support the right curves. It's not really made for also things like snarks and starks, um, but it's getting there. Like Istanbul is gonna get some good uh, EIPs in there. Um, another is uh, like I said, uh, snarks or starks. You can do a big computation. Exactly, you can do a big computation and, and then just verify it on chain, right? That's one way to do it. That's where I think we're probably gonna go with oracles in the medium term. And of course, we're looking at, we're looking at the, the on-chain data, but maybe in 10 years, yeah, if we could get everything totally on-chain, totally decentralized, that would be, uh, that would be the dream. But I don't know if, uh, well, I don't want to say 10 years from now, we're not going to be there. Uh, probably we will, but I'm going to keep on with the medium term idea first. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to deal with the hand that you're dealt. Yeah. Christian, do you have any uh, more questions for Mariano or I'm ready to wrap it up? Yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I learned a lot personally and honestly, like, regardless of your position on Bitcoin, Ether, DAI, any of these things as an investment, you have to kind of look at these things also as tools for people who need them. And if that's the case, more tools are always better and more tools that are more accessible are always better. So, um, you know, maybe some of these people who are super mad about giving investment advice need to uh, take a step back and try to think about, you know, the whole world. No, uh, that's true. And Personally, I I love Bitcoin. I love Ether. I love Dai. It's uh, it's what Bitcoin is what got me into all of this, right? So it's always gonna be my first love. It's just that sometimes I feel like poking my Bitcoin with a stick, and it's like, hey, like do something. Come on, I I have my Ether that I can stake it and I can move it and I can program it. And uh, I know that there's different paradigms uh, between both, but um, I wish that I could do more with uh, my BTC than just hold it. Maybe one day you can lock it up inside of MakerDAO. Well, I already have some wrapped BTC, so uh -huh. hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mariano, thanks for coming on the podcast. If people want to find more about you and the work that you do, where should they follow you? Um, just uh, search my name, Mariano Conti, on, on Twitter. My handle is uh, NanexSchool, which has a bit of a history, but I'm, I'm not ready to change it yet. Been using it for like 25 years. <laughs> but yeah, I'm mostly active on Twitter. And at various ETH Global events as well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I started going to them last year uh, after being like in my K programming uh, for a long time. And I realized that I, I am a sociable guy and I like talking to people. So yeah, I try to go to as many events as I can. If you guys ever are around Mariano at an ETH Global event, he's a great guy to be, get a beer with. 
Oh, thank you. <laughs> Sorry, what's the next event? Um, there's. I'm probably gonna go to East Berlin next. Yeah, that's. Um, it's not a part of uh, East Global proper, but yeah, around September, I believe. Very cool. Maybe I'll see you there. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, Mariano, thanks again for coming on the show. You, everyone can find this show on Twitter at POV Crypto Pod. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. You can find all of us except for Mariano at Bitcoin 2019 next week in San Francisco. Get pumped. David, where can people find you? Oh, I need to tell my boss that I'm going to be <laughs> out of the office. <laughs> you can find me at Trustless State and at the Bitcoin 2019 conference and eating steak on Christian's roof all next week. All right, guys, thanks for listening. And Mariano, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you guys so much. <laughs>